It is Tuesday, August 1st. This is the Christian Commute. I'm your host, Seth Dunn, and I'm back from vacation. So, now I'm back recording again. Some of you know that I was back from vacation on Friday. Because you pay attention, and you were probably like, where's the show? Here's what happened. I got a little moisture in my phone on vacation. My phone is supposedly waterproof. But it somehow got water in it. And I couldn't charge it up uh, on the way home from from the beach. I was not in Florida. I was in Alabama. I wanted to say on the way home from Florida. Thank God I can go to the beach. But I don't have to go to the state of Florida with all those slow drivers with their gold chains and jean shorts. Uh, you know, I know I have listeners in Florida. I know it, but I'm just telling the, the unvarnished truth of what I think about that state on this show. So thank God I, I went to the beach without having to go to Florida. Although, they don't have income tax. And I like their governor. So there's that. Anyway, uh, I, didn't, I, wasn't able, I wasn't able to charge it up. I didn't know if it was going to make it. But it did, and now it will charge... Except now the microphone doesn't work. I have to absolutely yell at the phone to get it record to record. So I tried to record a show Friday, but even when I plugged in my headset, the microphone wouldn't work. So I don't know if that's cause of the moisture or just cause the phone's getting old. Like the camera doesn't work unless I'm in pro mode. There's a lot of stuff wrong with my phone. Uh, so I was unable to record, and I'm still unable to record it or record on it. I'm on a different phone today. I dug one of the other cell phones uh, out of my drawer of cell phones I don't use. I actually have uh, a one that's kind of a phone we keep in the house. I call it the house phone. I don't have a landline at my house. I haven't ever had a landline since I bought a house. Uh, so my kids will probably never shop at Sears and Kmart and never have a landline. Times change. So I'm on the other phone today. Uh, it works. It's another Samsung ga- Galaxy. So I'm recording. That's why there was no show Friday. I couldn't record. Now, why was there no show the Friday before that? Because I hadn't left for vacation yet. Well, when I woke up, I heard thunder. Like a lot of... Like, not just a little bit, but a lot. And there had been thunderstorms the night before. And as I laid there in bed, I was like, you know, I got a lot of work to do today. I got to get a lot done before I go on vacation. I'm not going to drive to work today in this thunderstorm. So because it was, because the weather was bad, because it was supposed supposed to rain, the day ended up in, ended up being kind of nice. But I was like, I'm not driving to work in, in, in the rain. I'm not, because it's all the way in Dalton. So I just didn't drive to work. That's why there's no show. So sometimes I wake up and it's not technically one of my work from home days. And I'm like, I ain't going to work today. It's raining. When I was in college, if it was raining, I didn't go. But now that I get paid to work instead of just go to college, you know, my dad said when I was in college, that was my job. So I did not do my job if it rained. But now that I get paid and I'm employed, I still don't want to go out in the rain but I can work from home because it's the modern work environment. And the only people who suffer are you, the Christian commuters out there, my listening audience members. So sorry. 
so that's why there haven't been any shows since before I left for for vacation and before I got back. But here I am on Tuesday with our regularly scheduled program on my other phones. I carry two cell phones to work just for you people. And you know what modern cell phones are like? Big bricks in your pocket. So I hauled two bricks to work today. And you're riding not home with me but to the soccer fields because soccer practices have started. And I'm ready to get back. It's it's the... Uh, my team's soccer practice haven't started yet. It's my kids' academy travel soccer teams that I pay entirely too much money for. They've started, but my true passion, the team I coach, has not started yet. But I'm ready to get back out there. Uh, school's about to start, and it's time for summer to be over, to get my kids busy doing something. So that's where I'm going today. And good news, I have a full show for you today. Today's show title, here's an interesting one, Oppenheimer and the Hot Dog Girls. Oppenheimer and the Hot Dog Girls. And this is leading somewhere, trust me, when you hear it. Uh, I have a question in the inbox. Actually, I have two questions in the inbox. Hooray! So if I get one more... I can finish the show or finish the week with full shows. And today's question is about what I always say at the end of the show. What do I always say? What's my catchphrase? Uh, it is remember, Christianity is not about getting saved, it's about being saved. So I got a question about that. But first and foremost, as always, we have the Bible chapter review. We're in Matthew chapter 23. We're continuing the woes. Now this is woes that Jesus said to the Pharisees. Not woes that I say to people from Florida. Woe unto you, Floridians, for you get white cars and drive them slowly on the interstate. Woe to you, Floridians, because you think an acceptable way to dress is jean shorts and a gold chain, and a wife beater, and a hat with a fish hook on it. And you're walking around in public like that, going to Ben Hill Griffin Stadium dressed like that. That's what you look like, the, the NASCAR, you look like 24-7 NASCAR race. That's, we know, is that more, that's more central Florida. Woe unto you, Floridians, because every house in the beach costs a million dollars. Woe unto you, Floridians, because you've turned the coast into Pigeon Forge with a million go-kart tracks and overpriced 50s styles diner. No, no, no. That's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about what Jesus said to the Pharisees. And this is real sinful stuff, not my subjective opinion about people from a different place. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But these are things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out an at 
and swallow a camel, Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 through 24. Now, here's the thing. Jesus is not condemning the Pharisees for following the rules that they follow. For example, tithing on their spices. It's good that they did that. It's good that they strain out a net so they don't drink dirty water because they don't want to be unclean. So Jesus is not condemning them here for following the law. That's wrong. Sometimes people say, you Pharisee, you insist we do that. You Pharisee. I'm like, yes. It's some of the things they were doing were good. But he's calling them blind gods because they're telling everybody what to do. And they're blind gods. What did he say in the previous verses? You travel land to sea, land and sea and make converts who are twice the sons of hell as you. Y'all are awful even though you're doing these good things. What are they doing? Well, it's really easy to tithe off your spices. You don't really have to go out of your way to get 10 pounds of mint and sell a pound or give a pound to the temple. It's really weird for us modern day to tithe on, you so tithing on spices, because for me, spices are just a thing you have in your house when you're growing up. And there, there they are. Here's every spice you could ever use. And you get them from this little aisle at the grocery store. And you have a pack of dill that's been in your mom's cabinet since 1975. Today's my mom's birthday. And I, she's 76. And I think that there's spices at my parents' house that we've had since I was little. They're just there. I don't know if they're still good. And it's one of the things when you get married and you're like, all right, I need, I need some cinnamon. I've never had to buy cinnamon before. I've had the same cinnamon since 1985. I guess I have to go to the store and buy it. You build it over time, and, you know, it's not expensive. But back then, spices were more valuable. And I guess you could say um, they didn't necessarily need them more, but they were more of a luxury item than they had now. So here the the Pharisees are, are tithing off their spices. They're valuable things, and it's good that they're tithing off of them. But Jesus says they neglect the weightier provisions of the law. Now, some people read this, like my neighbor Tim Poe, some people read this and they get the wrong idea that some parts of the law are more important than others. Like there are lesser laws and greater laws. That's not what Jesus Jesus is saying here if you drill down in your Strong's Concordance to the, the meaning of the word that's translated weightier. It's more like the more burdensome laws. It's not hard to tithe off your spices. All right, I got a hundred dollars. Here's ten. Eh, that wasn't hard. What What is more burdensome? Doing justice and mercy, because that involves looking after others and helping them out, going out of your way. Think of what what the good Samaritan did. The good Samaritan went out of his way to help this guy. Now, remember the beaten-up guy on the road in the parable of the Good Samaritan? He was passed by the priest and the Levite, and we presume the priest and the Levite followed the law all the time. But God forbid they go out of their way to help somebody. To what? Do mercy. It's not really merciful to tithe on things. Ooh, I have $100,000. I'll give away $10,000. You're not merciful. You have $90,000. Okay? But when you have to go out of your way and spend your time and do things that your flesh doesn't want to do to help others, that's the way to your provisions of the law. And really, 
the law is essentially about one loving God and two loving your neighbor. And you don't love your neighbor if you're not doing justice, mercy, and faithfulness. I'm tithing on my spices. That's great. Are you just merciful and faithful? Because those are the weightier provisions of the law. You ignore them. And otherwise, in other words, Jesus is saying, you're only, you only do what's easy. The hard stuff, you don't do. You're out here telling people, do, 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 do all this. Tie on your spices. Look at me. Here's me tithing on, tithing on my cumin. But you're not a merciful or just person. You're not a faithful person. You're a blind guide. That's why their converts are twice the sons of hell as they are. So we will end the Bible chapter review right there. And let me give you this note. Don't go around calling Pharisees or calling people Pharisees because they insist on holiness and following the rules. All right? A Pharisee is somebody who is a fake, a phony, an actor, a hypocrite. Not somebody who follows the rules. They're hypocrites because they only follow the easy rules. Everybody wants to play the Pharisee card today. And you know what? I, you know what? When somebody plays the Pharisee card, I feel like you, you person, you calling somebody a Pharisee, you don't want to do the harder things. So you call anybody who criticizes you a Pharisee. That's been my experience. That's not me picking something out of the verse. That's just saying, when we do something in modern day in our culture, when you call you a Pharisee, well, you need to look at that. Am I pharisaical about the way Floridians dress and drive and carry themselves? No, because it's just my opinion. That's not law I'm putting on them. Woe to you, Floridians, for you go to Barn Hills Buffet at 4 p.m. to save $3 on some cafeteria food. My wife's grandparents used to uh, winter in frostproof Florida. They grow a lot of grapefruits down there. And my wife and I went to visit them once on my spring break. I, think I, I guess it was my senior year of spring break of college. And uh, I think, oh, I'm going to go to Florida for spring break. My wife, We weren't married at the time. She's still my fiance. And we went down there to stay with him. Like, I'm going to Florida for spring break. No, you're going to sit. Look at a map. I wish I'd have had a Google Maps back then. It was Central Florida. I was hanging out at their the pool in the RV park that they lived in with a bunch of old people. We drove to Vero Beach for one day and sat on the beach. By the time it got there, it was windy and too cold to swim. But my grandfather-in-law was like, "We're going to go. I'm going to take you out to dinner. We're going to Barn Hills." Like, all right, we're going to get steak. All right, we're going out for steaks. Oh, you get there. I'm like, oh, okay. I see how it's It's like one step below Golden Corral. Do you know Golden Corral has steak? They're pretty good. I've, I'm not going to go into Golden Corral. I'm sorry. I'm already on a rabbit trail. See what, see what Florida does to me? All right. You don't have a lot of listeners in Florida. They keep listening. Because you guys, you know what I'm talking about. All right, let's move on to the inbox. Do you have a question? 
about Christian theology or apologetics, you can write to SethDunn88 at gmail.com. SethDunn88 at gmail.com. Or you can dial 470-315-0875. The Christian Commute is your theological roadside assistance. Today's question comes from Mississippi. From C. Reed. I'm going to read it in a Mississippi accent just for fun. What does it mean when you say Christianity is not about getting saved but being saved? That's my attempt at a Mississippi accent. That's a, that's a more of a wealthy person from Mississippi. Uh, ooh, they talk slow like this. I'm about to go down to the courthouse and convict this criminal of his vandalism. Now, I'm sure there's more. Some parts of Mississippi, like you drive to Brother Williams' neighborhood, they ain't talking like that. Maybe they're saying something like that. Anyway, that's that's C. Reed from Mississippi's question. What do you mean by that? And, and, what is the biblical basis? So here's what I mean, and I've explained this before, uh, but it was a long time ago. A long, long time ago, I can still remember when I explained what my catchphrase meant. Uh, when I say Christianity is not about getting saved, what I'm saying is it's not about the day in your life that you walked down the aisle and made a decision for Christ. All right, that's, that's my Billy Graham. Have you made a decision for Christ? Come on down. I'm going to call a stadium full of people here now to make a decision for Christ. I'm going to say I saved 10,000 people, and then I'm never going to check if they've ever been discipled. All right. So when you make your decision for Christ, you get saved. All joking aside, you do say, oh, I'm a sinner. I repent. At the end of the show, I'm going to put the clip on that says, thanks for listening to the Christian Commute. If you want to get saved, call upon the name of the Lord. It's my wife. I don't say it. My wife does. I have an invitation to get saved, if you will, a call to repent of your sins and accept Christ as Lord at the end of every show because that's what everybody should do. Okay, let's not belittle it. God saved you. It's a miracle, you wretched sinner. But pe- people tend to think about, well, I got saved. I walked the aisle. I wrote the date that I got saved in my Bible. And then you just live your life however you see fit after that. Nothing really changes, especially for us here in the Bible Belt. Your parents take you to church, you get saved, and you keep going to church like you did before. You get saved when you're a kid, right? And you have people, maybe even antinomian people. Meryl, you'll have to Google that. Antinomian people. Chandra, you'll have to Google it too. uh, Who say they're saved because they got saved one day. And they think, oh, I got saved, now I'm going to church. That's getting saved, right? Getting saved is your conversion. It happens in an instant. So I say Christianity is not about getting saved. It's about what? It's about being saved. Now the Bible says we are being saved by Christ because the end is yet to come. The final judgment is yet to come. But that's not what I'm talking about. What I mean by being saved is living the holy life as a Christian. Hagios. That's the Greek word for holy. You are set apart. So the way you live, not just on Sunday, not just what you do with your church, but what you do 
in your whole life is supposed to reflect Christ as an ambassador of Christ and point others towards him. So it's not about the day, Christianity is not about the day that you decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. It's not about that. It's about the consistent, continual following of Jesus in your life, carrying out the good works that he prepared for you before the foundations of the world, like it says in Ephesians 2. So what is the biblical basis of that, C. Reed asks. Well, it's really the New Testament. Look at the occasional writings of the New Testament. What we have in the Pauline epistles are directions on how to be a Christian. This is what the church should do. This is how you should live. So being saved is just living out your life as a disciple of Christ. And that includes evangelism and discipleship like the Great Commission tells us, but also holy living. Through that process of sanctification, if you want to go through what some people call in their fancy Latin words, the ordo salutis, the order of salvation, which is much debated. So what do you have in salvation? You have regeneration, uh, justification, and sanctification. So you're regenerated in an instant. You're justified in an instant, but you're sanctified over time until you die, until you're resurrected to new life and you live a sinless life in the kingdom forever and ever, and Jesus Christ is the light and there's no more tears. But as we tarry here, waiting for Christ's return, knowing that the days are evil, and we live as ambassadors of Christ amongst the kingdom of darkness as the kingdom of light, seeking to be salt and light in this world, a city of... city on a hill, not hiding our bushes, bushels, because a city on a hill cannot uh, be hidden. That's being saved. How do we live as Christians? That's what Christianity is about. Loving God, loving others, and carrying out yourself in a holy way. That's what you do for the rest of your life. So if you take me as an example, sometime in September, because I, I can dig up my Bible and find the date, sometime in September of 1988, I got saved. I professed my faith in Christ. Repented of my sins. I was just a kid. Okay? But the rest of my life after that, For 35 years and however many more days God gives me, I'm supposed to live out a Christian witness. That's being saved. You could say it's about being sanctified and living. That's just how I say it. Why do I say that? Because there's an overemphasis, at least in my culture, which is Southern Baptist Evangelical Christianity, that's all about, we're going to give an invitation, we're going to tell somebody to make a decision, we're going to put on Facebook how many decisions we had today, and send in our ACS report to the convention about all our decisions. And church is all about getting people to come in and hear the gospel and make a decision for Christ. And you see that happen, and you see churn, and you see a lack of of discipleship. We have a culture of decisional regeneration with a bunch of people who who say they're saved because they say they are, because they made made a, a decision. But it's really about living out the life that God has planned for you. That's being saved. 
And it doesn't look like walking the aisle when you're 14 and then living a profligate life with occasional church attendance. Okay? How many people in your life have you met that are nominal Christians that can tell you about getting saved, but if you look at their life, you don't think, boy, you're not very, or you do think, boy, you're, you're not very good at being saved. Maybe you're not being saved. That's what I mean. It's about an emphasis on regenerate church membership in the church local and church universal, which is the church invisible. And I would say something like the church visible, at least in my culture over the past 20 or 30 years, has overemphasized getting saved instead of being saved. Now, here's the thing. You can't be saved unless you get saved. That's super important. Who have you shared the gospel with lately? I tell you what, I felt a little convicted today because yesterday was the sign-up deadline for soccer, and I thought, you know what, I've, I've probably given more invitations to athletic girls that I've scouted over the past six months to come be on my soccer team than I have given them invitations to Christ, or people invitations to Christ. Just share the gospel more. Of course I do share the gospel every day on this podcast, but it's mostly to Christians. All right, let's move on. I hope that answered your question, C. Reed from Mississippi. Today's show topic as I drive into road work traffic. I'll be late to my son's soccer practice. My, my wife took him, I hope. As I drive into traffic, they've got one left lane shut after seven. It's not seven yet. They're shutting down left lanes for construction on I-75. Oppenheimer and the hot dog girls. You're just going to have to figure out where I'm going with this. One of my favorite directors. Someone's movies who I like to watch is Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan uh, directed many movies, but the ones I've seen are Memento, starring Guy Pearce, Insomnia, starring uh, Al Pacino, Hilary Swank, and Robin Williams. Batman Begins. He did well. He did Batman Begins. He did uh, The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. But Batman Begins, I think, is the best film. Well, I don't know. The one with the Joker is pretty good. Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger won an Academy Award for playing the Joker. Come to think about it, uh, Joaquin Phoenix won an Academy Award for playing the Joker. Anybody ever think reading Batman comics or watching Batman cartoons that one day two people are going to win Oscars for playing this comic book character, the Joker? But um, Mark Hamill does a pretty good job in the cartoon. Anyway, Christopher uh, Nolan did that Batman trilogy. He did uh, Dunkirk. That's a good movie, too. Oh, and Inception. Inception's an intriguing film. So all of those have been very entertaining movies. Some of them have F-words, so use your judgment. And what I remembered about those Christopher Nolan movies is the way he handled sex scenes. So in Memento, the Guy Pierce character uh, sleeps with Carrie Ann Moss. But it's not shown. It's just implied that they did it. And it is an important part of the plot. 
same goes for insomnia. Insomnia in insomnia, the Al Pacino character sleeps with the Mara Tierney character, but they don't show it. It's just implied. Like if you're a kid, you wouldn't know, but if you're an adult, you're like, oh yeah, I see. Like there's a woman, the, the guy's walking out of the bedroom, and the woman's still in it. I don't think there's a sex sex scene in Insomnia. And by the way, which is interesting because Marianne Cotard is in it. Is that how you pronounce her name? And she's a smoking hot woman. And uh, Batman, The Dark Knight Rises, speaking of Marianne Cotard, uh, when Bruce Wayne, Batman, Christian Bale, sleeps with Miranda Tate slash Talia al Ghul. I remember watching that movie and I leaned over to my brother and said, she's the bad guy. He's like, you just figured that out? Yeah, I'm sorry, Scott. I have autism. I did just figure it out. Just like it took me 30 years to figure out that lefty sold out poncho. Okay? Where he got the bread to go to Ohio. Oh, lefty sold out poncho. Okay. Figured it out. So, um... It's implied. You see him like getting out of bed. They don't show the sexual intercourse in any of those Christopher Nolan movies. And now Christopher Nolan has made a movie, Oppenheimer, and I want to see it because it's a Christopher Nolan movie and it should be good. And I've heard good reviews, but I'm not going to go see it because it has extremely gratuitous sex. And it seems like it's gratuitous sex that doesn't drive the plot. And like you're like, why is this a movie review show? Bear with me. So, Oppenheimer, the real-life person, Robert Oppenheimer, who helped invent the atomic bomb in the Manhattan Project, had a mistress, and you're going to put that in the movie. But they've got very explicit and graphic, like really, really rated R nudity in this film. And this is quite a departure from... A Christopher Nolan film. And I thought to myself, why? Why was this choice made? And then I remembered, like, Memento is a very unique movie that men are going to watch because of how the plot is and the action and the mystery. Dunkirk is a war movie. Men are going to show up and watch that. Batman has Batman in it. People love superhero movies. They don't have to show Batman having sex with Talia al Ghul, even though it's smoking hot Marion Cotard. Insomnia, I don't think anybody wants to see, you know, Mara Tierney or Hilary Swank for that matter in a sex scene, but they don't show it. They don't show Al Pacino in that woman. And you think, well, why is somebody going to go see this movie? Because Al Pacino's in it. And it's a murder mystery. And it's exciting. Inception is an action film. And it's exciting. And Leonardo DiCaprio is in it. You Oh, and here's Tenet. Some people like Tenet. Some, some people don't. But it's, it's like a weird action movie. There's a really hot chick in that too. But no nudity. No nudity in any of those movies. Because the plot and cast is such that they don't have to entice men to see it. Men want to see movies like this. Oppenheimer is a a biopic about some dead scientist, which may be interesting to Christopher Nolan, 
But is it interesting to the 18 to 35 demo in the way Inception and Batman are? The answer to that is no. Is somebody going to go see it because Cillian Murphy stars in it? Uh, Christopher Nolan likes to cast Cillian Murphy. He's a really good actor. But he's not an action star. He's, he's kind of weird looking. He plays Scarecrow in Batman. He plays a PTSD soldier in Dunkirk. Uh, let's see, is he in another movie? I can't remember if he's in another Christopher Nolan movie. But he's, he's, he plays Oppenheimer. And I'm sure he does a very good job, but nobody's going to go see a movie because Cillian Murphy's in it. And nobody's going to go see a movie because it's about a dead scientist. So how are they going to get 18 to 35s to come? Flat out naked Florence Pugh. That's how. Okay? So I think that's why they did that. And it's the same thing with the movie Frida. Does anybody know who Frida Kahlo is? My wife does because she minored in art history. I didn't. Is some Mexican artist, and she's dead, and she painted paintings. And Selma Hayek liked Frida Kahlo and wanted to make a biopic about her. And she was doing it through Miramax. That's Harvey Weinstein. And Harvey Weinstein made a big deal about, we're not going to make this movie or produce this movie or back you on this movie unless you do a lesbian sex scene with full frontal nudity. Now, eventually, I don't think that that made the cut of the movie. But what Harvey Weinstein knew, creep that he was, is that 18 to 35-year-old men who are buying movie tickets don't want to go watch Selma Hayek, who is a beautiful woman, play an ugly unibrow woman who's a crippled artist named, and I think a communist as well, uh, play Frida Kahlo. So they got to sex it up some. And that was very offensive to Selma Hayek. Plus, I mean... Harvey Weinstein was creep, and she, he creeped her out. So I think that's why the movie people are doing this. Because it doesn't really advance the plot. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, well, is nudity okay if it advances the plot? What kind of graphic nudity advances the plot unless your movie is about graphic nudity? What is it about strippers and porn stars? What is it about? I guess the nudity in Schindler's List was non-sexual and advances the plot. But you, you get what I'm saying. That's what they do. It, because enticing people with nudity, tasteless, graphic, non-plot-driven nudity sells tickets. And I was thinking about this as I was relaxing on my vacation, thinking, well, I'm reading good reviews of this movie, but I don't guess I'll go see it. And where am I but the beach? Where people are trying to get as naked as possible without being naked. Maybe it's because I'm an adult and I'm old, but when I'm a kid, when, when I was a kid, I didn't notice women being as scantily clad as they are now. As, as, as time marches on, and I guess people are looking at the YouTube influencers or whatever, or the Kardashian influencers, Bathing suits are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Now, there were skimpy bathing suits since bathing suits were invented. But it seems like more and more women are wearing them. Like, not, not Kathy Ireland doing a, a Bud Light poster to hang up on the wall of some teenager. Just everyday girls at the beach. It seems like, of all ages, they're getting skimpier and skimpier. And it wasn't like that when I was a teenager going to the beach. If I would, 
when I was a kid going to the beach and I was six, I didn't notice ladies in bathing suits. I was six. When I was a teenager, you better believe I noticed. But now that I'm an old dad, I'm like, you need to cover up, you harlot. But one of the things I noticed about all the people at the beach, what do you have? You have people playing in the ocean. You have people sitting on the shore in the sand, sunning. Except, listen, everybody was under an umbrella. It was scorching hot. We've all figured out by now that UV rays cause cancer. So now we go to the beach and we sit under tents. <laughs> but you have the people sitting there and tanning. They could be young people. You have the moms watching their kids play. You have the young couples with no kids. And you have the teenagers down there. All the different types of groups of people. Swimming, fishing, you know, playing volleyball and frisbee, digging in the sand. You know, everybody's down there is having fun. But you also have the people walking the beach. People love to go and walk on the beach. They just do. Like when I go to the beach, I'm like, hey, wife, let's take a walk in the evening and we'll hold hands and we'll listen to the, the waves crash and when it's not hot. People just like to do that. But what I've noticed there that there's born morning beach walkers. There's also the people down there with the, well, they got the they got the metal detector like beep beep congratulations you found a quarter good for you it only took you an hour in the 90 degree heat people out there, I'm going to find somebody's engagement ring diamond make up thousand dollars like who's losing engagement rings at the beach leave it in the condo but you have the, the people walking their dogs you have the people just walking for exercise or running for exercise and that's usually in the morning. But what I've noticed, there's a certain demographic of young women walking the beach, usually in groups of twos or threes, with their face in a smartphone. And what I noticed is that these young women more, were more scantily clad than all the other young women are out there. And I thought, is there a name for this group? Because these young women are clearly showing themselves off on purpose to strangers. Look at my butt. They ought to have a sign that they look at my butt, strangers. Be in awe of me. They're just they, they have no one they're not swimming, they're not tanning. They're not really socializing because they're there with their little wing woman facing the phone. And I thought, what is the name of this demo? Because they seem like they're here to for the sole pers- purpose of looking like harlots. So I googled. I said, what do you call these scantily clad girls who walk up and down the beach? And I found this old article from the Tallahassee newspaper about hot dog girls. So I call them hot dog girls. When you go to the beach, you're going to notice now, because I pointed it out, you're going to notice the hot dog girls. But who were the original hot dog girls? Well, I read this article, and this is like the the early 90s or late 80s exotic dancers thought to themselves well you know this is a hard job and it's not a very respectable job how can I make more money so this one particular exotic dancer she didn't want to go on on welfare to her credit and she was a single mom so she bought a hot dog cart and started selling hot dogs on the street and that we've all seen street hot dog vendors. But, but hey, woe to you, Floridians, because this is what goes on down there. She did it wearing a bikini. And in a lot of cases, wearing a thong bikini. And other women 
of the night, of the day, uh, saw this, and there became this phenomenon in Tallahassee and the area surrounding of hot dog girls. And it was hot dog vendors, but they were beautiful women wearing bikinis. As skimpy as you could get. And they even would measure themselves. And they'd find that if they wore a regular bikini, they would do $200 of sales. But if they wore a thong, they'd do $300 of sales. They, they researched this. Savvy businesswomen that they were. And of course, there was controversy and there was people back in a more decent time trying to make statutes about you can't sell hot dogs half naked on the street. And I'm sure somebody in the fray said, you Pharisee, you Pharisee, when they were discussing this. But the hot dog girls knew what Harvey Weinstein knew and what Christopher Nolan and the producers of Oppenheimer knew that you can get people to give you money if nudity and partial nudity is involved. Just like Florence super naked, full frontal, doesn't have anything to do with atomic bombs. Neither do uh, half-naked women have anything to do with selling hot dogs. And somebody out there wants to make a pun about buns, I'm not going to do it because I don't like puns. And this is the desire, instinct, hunger, if you will, that the world will tap into. And there's just some kind of idea about it, like, well, if it's not hardcore pornography, there's some, there's less of a degree of shame, there's some degree of decency. If this is just a regular old rated R movie that 17 and above can go see, or if this is just a plain old hot dog, or if this is the hot dog girls working on the beach, nothing shameful about this. There's nothing worldly about this because the worst of the worst is, well, that's going to a strip, a strip joint. A strip club, the, the gentleman's club. Or even buying a prostitute. Or buying a pornographic movie or magazine. Like there's some there's some level of worse that's just somehow a vice, but this isn't. But it really is because how many people who don't care about the history of atomic science and how when you think about it, like that's a really interesting time in history. It changed the world. It's the Cold War. It's the it's worrying about it's worrying about mutually assured destruction. It's about the uneasy peace through fear. It's about ending World War II and you know the controversy surrounded that. Well, is it worth blowing up all those people? You know, did we save more troops on both sides by dropping that bomb? People still argue about that till this day. You know, how did it affect, you know, Robert Oppenheimer, you know, he was this physicist and then all of a sudden he invented a weapon that could kill 100,000 people at once. How does he live with himself? How did that, you know, now we have nuclear power. I mean, it, it is something that should be very interestingly interesting historical, but there are a lot of 1835, 18-35 year old jean short wearing Florida, Florida people just want to see a naked lady. So that, you know, they got to have a little something. It's a little something for everybody. Something for mom, dad, and the kids. That's how they make successful movies. That's why you have adult jokes in movies that only the adults get. Because, you know, we don't want to sit through some boring... You know what show I like? I haven't found any, like, adult jokes in it. I like Bluey. What a really good show. Anyway. Christian Commute. Okay. 
So there's this, there's this desire, the movie people and the hot dog girls try to pull out of the 18 30, through 35 year olds for the purpose of what? For the purpose of making money. Now, what in the world does this have to do with Christianity? Well, it has to do with the idea of modesty in both Christian men and women. When we talk about, well, Christianity is about being saved. All right, you got saved. Well, now how do you dress? And you may wear a knee-length dress every day to work. How do you dress when you go to the beach? You should be able to tell when you're at the beach, by modesty, both through men and women, who are the Christian people or who are not. And I was going to say church-going people, but guys, Panama City, Orange Beach, Gulf Shores, a smack dab in the middle of the Bible Belt. A bunch of those people go to church. A bunch of those people, that hot dog girl on the, walking with her face down in the cell phone and her butt sticking out for the world to see, if you ask her if she's a Christian, she'll say yes. I got saved when I was nine. And then I bought this tanga. Being saved, part of that, part of being holy and set apart, is about standards and modesty. It's a not it's Hollywood, Hollywood, you know, that whatever you want to call it. The entertainment industry is going to pander to the worser angel of your nature, if I can say. Remember Abraham Lincoln said to appeal to the better angel of our nature. All right, they're going to appeal to the worse fleshly part of you. The sarks in the Greek, the sarks, the flesh, wars against the spirit, the pneuma. All right. There's going to be an appeal to the flesh to say, that's okay. As a woman to say, I want to dress like this and I want this kind of attention. As a man to say, I want to go see this movie because I want to see Florence Pugh really, really naked. That should not be appealing to Christians. We understand how that appeals to the world, but as part of our discipleship process when people get saved, we ought to be generating young ladies in our churches who can go have fun at the beach without dressing like a hot dog girl. And we ought to be generating young men who want to go to the movies, but when they see a movie like that, they say, I'm not, I'm sorry. That's going to keep me away, not draw me in. Things of the world should keep us away, not draw us in. Which is going to lead to Thursday's show topic, a two-parter, Barbie Mario Movie Church. And how worldly the church has become, or at least some have, in the visible church. Thanks for listening to the Christian Commute. Button up that top button, ladies. Get, a little, get some looser shorts, gentlemen. Thanks for listening to the Christian commute. Lord willing, I'll be back with you again tomorrow. And as always, God bless. And remember, see Reed from Mississippi and all you other listeners, remember Christianity is not about getting saved. It's about 
being saved.